Good evening. It's good to see you this evening. I am greatly honored to be with you. I so much appreciate the opportunity to be here, and I appreciate you being here. If uh, we could divide up our night and do it about two or three times, I'd just give the rest of the time over to sing with you. Uh, great singing this evening and great song leading, and uh, it is, it's such an inspiration when we come together as a church family and we teach and admonish one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, and that is such a blessing, and I feel blessed tonight just to be with you. You've got a great program this summer lined out, and I am thankful to be a part of it. I appreciate Brother Tony inviting me and the elders allowing that to take place. Tony and I have a lot of shared history uh, where we uh, spent some time at Freed Hardeman, common uh, professors, common uh, interests and, and, uh, and likes. And I know that you very much appreciate him uh, for his work and, and what he is and is about. Tony has a great reputation in the Brotherhood for, uh, for being a solid Bible teacher and a solid guy. And uh, those don't always go together. And uh, Tony is, is a blessing to you, and I know that you know it. There are not a lot of people that I remember over the years meeting. I remember meeting Joe Collins. <clears throat> Joe and Marcia were, were truly blessings to us in Duluth. I was a young preacher, and uh, Joe thought maybe too young. Uh, to do that work. I'd grown up in a preacher's home. My dad preached all of my life. Uh, I don't know that, that that's better or worse, but uh, we enjoyed our work there in Duluth and have now been in the Huntsville area since 1986 uh, for a couple of congregations. A woman went to the doctor and she said, Doc, I woke up this morning and my hair's frazzled. I, I, I just feel out of, out of whack. Uh, my, my skin's all pasty. Uh, I, I look like a corpse. I, I don't know what's going on with me. Uh, what do you think? He said, well, I can tell you one thing. There's nothing wrong with your eyesight. <laughs> well, who needs friends like that? Tonight we're going to talk about Friends. Or more precisely, the aspect of what our friends do to us. Peter said, though you know and are established in the present truth, as long as I am in this tent, I'm going to stir you up by reminding you. Tonight I want to remind you. I want to remind you of things you know but that sometimes we allow to, to slip away from what is immediately before us and help us to bring back into focus where we are and what's going on in life. My assigned topic is, are we distracted by friends? Now, I know since I'm not the first speaker on this series and there's all been issues of distraction, you've already had some conversation about that topic. But let me dabble there just for a moment or two. The question, are we distracted by our friends, has an assumption. And, and that assumption is that there is a cause or a purpose that should be with what we're pursuing. 
and that something is distracting us away from it. Webster defines distraction like this. Something that directs one's attention away from something else. Well, if, uh, if, if there is something that we should be doing, then let's think about distractions for just a moment. What is a distraction? And there's no shortage when we talk about distractions. I don't know how many, if any, of uh, the uh, men or women in this audience may have served in our military, but I appreciate them, you, for your service. And it's certainly not my intent to demean any of those who served in that capacity. Last year, there were a couple of incidences where, or incidents where um, Navy warships made contact with some commercial shipping. And in the process, 17 sailors were killed in two separate incidents. There were investigations done by the Navy Department. There were interests of all levels of uh, the folks who were involved in overseeing uh, everything that had to do with a Navy ship at sea. And in the process of examining what was going on, the end results, and of course almost anyone hearing about the details of what took place knows somebody wasn't paying attention to what should have been going on. Now you may not know exactly who the somebody is or what someone was supposed to be doing instead, but someone was assigned to the tasks that keep those ships separated from one another. Someone wasn't doing it. Why not? Or you could um, look at something that's a little more a part of our everyday. Driving. How many of you have a cell phone? Let's see hands. You have a cell phone. I don't believe you. Some of you don't have your hands up, and I know you've got cell phones. (laughs) How many of you use them in your car? Same number of hands. Okay, you don't have to answer this one. How many of you text while you're driving? The proper response would be, now, Brother Tim, you know that that's illegal in the state of Tennessee. You can't drive and text at the same time. Yeah, you know why? 2015 statistics say that 3,000... 477 people died as a result of distracted driving. 319,000 people were injured just in the year of 2015 by distracted driving. And that wasn't all folks talking or uh, using their cell phones or texting, but many of them were. 43 states in the United States plus D.C., the Virgin Islands and Puerto Rico make texting on a cell phone a primary, primary illegal act. Now, there are other six states that make it a secondary act. That means if you get pulled over for, let's say, speeding, and the police officer also notices that you were texting, he can write you a citation for that as well. But 
43 states say an officer can see you with a cell phone texting or any other of several other electronic devices uh, sending an electronic message and they can write you a ticket for that by itself because distracted driving is a problem. And then an area where I have a particular interest, aviation, because I'm a pilot. And the, I wish I could say that there are no issues that had to deal with, with aviation in this category, but that's just not true. United Airlines Flight 173 was uh, trying to make a landing and uh, had a problem with the gear down indicator. When landing gear goes down on a modern aviation aircraft uh, commercial, there are lights that come on on the panel that tell that the gear is down and locked. Well, one of the lights did not illuminate for the nose gear. And so since the light's a relatively easy thing to, to get and check, you want to make sure, okay, do we really have a problem or do we just have an instrument problem? And so the, uh, the, the pilot, the co-pilot began to busy themselves with trying to uh, uh, take care of, of that issue. And they um, had the airplane on autopilot and it seemed like all was well and they were, were working the problem. They, uh, they had some of the gear down and, and uh, 15 degrees of flaps and they circled for about an hour before they decided they were going to make an emergency landing and uh, just see what happened with the gear because they could not determine whether the gear was actually down or not. Six miles away from the airport, they ran out of fuel. While they were flying around, trying to solve the landing gear dilemma and determine what the real cause was, no one was watching the fuel consumption. And all of the fuel was used up in their aircraft. And all souls were lost in the crash that followed. Because of a distraction, whether we're talking about literally on land or sea, that's a problem. Well, what are we supposed to be doing? If our friends are questioned, are they distracting us, what is it that we should be doing? And we could spend more time than we've got tonight talking about it. But if you'll, if you'll look with me, I know you've got your Bibles. Let's look at a couple of very familiar passages and look at some of the things that we should be a part of. Right now, let's start in Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, starting in the 12th verse, if you'd like to read with me. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Did Paul know what he was doing? Oh, yes, he did. 
Did Paul know what his mission was? Oh, yes, he did. Did Paul know where his focus and where his his attention lay? And he didn't want to be distracted by it. He said, this is the one thing I do. The things that went beyond or before me, I, I, I put them out of my mind. They're gone. If you read earlier in chapter 3, Paul is talking about that to the Philippian brethren through much of this chapter. A little farther, still with the Apostle Paul, to the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 4. I know you can quote it, but if you'd like to read it, let's read 2 Timothy, chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, not to me only, but also to all those who have loved his appearing. Paul, what would you do? I fought my fight. What else did you do? I finished my race. What else did you do? I kept the faith. Paul, was there ever a time where you might have been distracted by people? Oh, yeah, there were things that came up along the way. I was thrown in prison. I spent a night and a day in the deep. I've been shipwrecked. I've been beaten three times by the Jews. I received 39 stripes, 40 stripes minus one. I was stoned and left for dead. Paul, did any of these things stop you? No, they did not. Why? Because I knew what my race was. And I knew what my course was. And I had hold of my faith. And I didn't let any of these things or any of these people distract me from what was going on. And as much as I would like to just stay and talk about Paul, let's look at a couple of others. Let's also look at the Apostle Peter. First Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed at the last, at the last time. Peter, what do you think is important? Oh, there may be a lot of things important, but here's what's really important. Holding on to that hope, that, that hope that's laid up. That's what's important. What about the rest of these things? Oh, they're, they're not as important. Don't get distracted by these things. Here's what you need to keep your mind on. Or we could listen to the Lord Jesus. Oh, we could, we could spend all night reading from the Lord's words. Don't enter the broad gate. Go in at the narrow gate. There'll be many who go into broad gate, but broad gate leads to destruction. The narrow way leads to eternal life. And few, few there be that find it. When Jesus said that, do you know what that means? That, that, that whole concept of, of that there are, there's more than one path and it's going to take your attention, your focus. Don't get distracted by this. We could go a little farther, same chapter, chapter 6, verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of heaven. Seek first. Or a little farther up beyond uh, uh, earlier, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on the earth where moth and rust corrupt, where thieves break through and steal. 
Lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. So back to our question. What are we supposed to be doing? We're supposed to be walking in this world by faith, living that race that we run, holding on to those things that are important, looking forward to our eternal home, seeking first those things that are above. What would our friends do to distract us? Well, they might do a lot. Your parents knew before you did that friends influence behavior. They knew 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, where Paul said, and let's put it in the language we all understand, you hang out with bad people, it's going to have a bad outcome on your life. Bad friends make for trouble. I suspect that we could all spend some time talking about our own personal experiences. You have those. You remember them. Not too long ago, I had the opportunity to sit down with a fellow and talk with him about his experiences in life. He told me about his son who uh, got involved in drugs and alcohol and then women. And as much as they tried and all that they did, they were unable to break the connections that this young man had. And so he, he kind of got scooped up in that world. And he said, and as bad as that was, the friends that he hung out with then started to influence our other children. And they began to enjoy the company of those bad friends that were hanging around this boy. And he said, that's when we knew that we had to make a change. And he picked up his family and they moved to another state. Why? Because he knew the power and the influence of friends. Do we know the power and the influence of friends? There is a terrible, if very revealing, story told for us in 2 Samuel chapter 13. 2 Samuel 13 tells us about some of David's family. David had uh, several wives and several children by those wives. One of those children was uh, named Amnon. Another wife had two children. One of them was named Tamar, a girl, and uh, Absalom, a boy. Tamar was a beautiful young woman. And Amnon, Tamar would have been his, uh, what we would describe as half-sister, same father, different mother. He was infatuated with her. He desired her. He lusted for her. And it, it bothered him. And so his, his countenance, his appearance changed. One of his uh, associates, and here we have those very, very sad words in Second Samuel 13, 3, but Amnon had a friend. That friend's name was Jonadab. Jonadab was a, was a cunning, uh, deceitful man. 
And he said, why should you? You're the king's son. You should have anything you want. And the fact that you're, you're lusting after this girl, this woman, the fact that she's your family, that shouldn't bother you. If that's what you want, you should go for it. And he says, here's what you do. Here's how you're going to make this work out. You're going to pretend to be sick. David's going to come visit you, David the king, your father, and you're going to say, Dad, what I really need to do in order to get well is for you to ask my sister to come and take care of me. He says, when you get Tamar then in your house by yourself alone, you can do whatever you want. You know how that story unfolds. Amnon does just exactly what his evil friend suggested. Tamar does come to nurse Amnon back to health, she believes. And he takes her and forcibly rapes her. And you know what the events that would lead from that one bad friend would result in the history of Israel? Tamar is going to be raped because of it. Amnon is not only going to be the rapist, but he is also going to be killed by his own brother. Absalom, whose whose sister was raped by his half-brother, is going to work out a plan to kill Amnon, and so he's going to become a murderer. Because of that, he's going to be exiled out of the family and out of the country and have to leave And while he is in exile, he is going to brood over this and become so hateful and resentful that when he finally does get allowed to come back, he foments a rebellion and a civil war. And a civil war is going to break out in Israel, threatening David for the throne. And eventually Absalom will be killed and the throne will be devastated. Israel will have all of these things happen because... Because of the influence of one bad friend. How do we make friends? What are our friends? We probably don't... There's so many issues with social... Uh, networking and the, and the social media, I'm not going to, to touch on them. The whole concept of friends and Facebook certainly comes to mind. But when we talk about real friends, real friends come about because of, of commonality, something that we, we hold in common, something that we share. It may be uh, maybe common interest, it may be hobbies, it may be uh, games that we play. There are clubs that form around sports, around different interests. A few days ago, my wife and I were, were driving along, we came by a restaurant, and there was about 45 Miatas out in the parking lot. They weren't selling them. This was a club. It was a Miata club. I've seen them driving in, in lots of different locations. All of these people got together. They got the same kind of cars, and they enjoy uh, being together. They form clubs. I ride motorcycles. I usually don't ride with clubs. Typically, I just spend time on myself. But there are a lot of groups that get together and ride. I, I've passed lots of groups on motorcycles. Sometimes they're just neighborhoods. You grow up with people and the friends you you knew in high school or college uh, or at home are just folks that grew up down the street. And so you just have similar circumstances. But then 
Then there's the, the friends that, that you're drawn to because of their noble virtues, because of their goodness, because you meet them and something about them you respect and you admire and you're drawn to them, and it, it just, it, it's just something refreshing. When God talks about who he had in contact and, and friends with. Isn't it interesting when he described in Exodus chapter 33 verse 11, and God says, I speak to Moses like a friend talks face to face. In the book of Isaiah, when God talks about Abraham, he said, Abraham is the friend of God. Friend of God. Now you talk about name dropping. You start making your lists. How many of you have God as your friend on Facebook? Ooh, I could do a whole sermon right there. Are there some pictures you'd hide if God was your friend on Facebook? We'll, we'll, we'll pass that one for now. A few days ago, I had lunch with a, with a friend of mine, a, a real good friend. And it, just meeting with him is like a breath of fresh air. We talked about the church. He's an elder in the church. We talked about some of the issues that uh, that are going on, the the work of the church, some of the good things, some of the challenges that we had. As we spent a couple of hours there, the time just just flew by. We had so much in common. We came from the same background. We loved the same things. We wanted the same things for our kids. We we love the Lord. We want to serve. We're interested in the welfare of the church and our children. and, And you know what it's like when you're around people like that. And, and how, how filling that is to your heart and to your mind. You know, the truth is, our friends are going to fall into one of two categories. They're either going to be those people who pull us closer to God, or they're going to pull us closer to the world, one or the other. And you know... Which is which, don't you? If you're honest and you examine the associations you have with others, and we're not always honest. We're not honest with ourselves. We don't want to know. We don't always want to look in the mirror and see the way things really are. But if you're honest and really look, you know whether your friends that you have, that you spend time with, that you call friend, lead you closer to God or lead you away. When I was growing up in Corpus Christi, Texas, if y'all don't know where that is, you can get you a map, but it is way down at the bottom of Texas. The only thing farther south in Texas than Corpus Christi is Brownsville, and you got to go nearly to Mexico to find that. Grew up in Corpus Christi, Texas, and there was a young man that lived on our block. His name was Kevin. Kevin's probably in the penitentiary right now if he's still alive. He probably ought to be. Kevin was bad news. He was bad news on the block. Wherever he went, he caused trouble. He caused me no end of grief. I met one of our neighbors one time. You know how I met those neighbors? Me and my dad were outside working in the yard, and those neighbors came out of their house, and they walked across the street, and they introduced themselves to my dad. And in a few moments, he turned and looked at me, and he summoned for me like this. I knew immediately, this is not good. 
The reason I knew it was not good was because about two nights before that, the aforementioned Kevin had talked me into getting some eggs out of the refrigerator of my house. And we took them outside because he thought it would really be fun to throw them at the front door of the neighbors who were now talking to my father. There are a lot of things I'll take credit for. And if I've done it, I'll admit I did it. And I played a part. I went along. I did what he said. It wasn't my idea. Never in, it never came into my mind that it would be fun to take an egg and throw it at somebody's house and that would be an enjoyable experience. But I went along because of a friend. I was distracted from what is good. Now, I'll tell you, I was only in the sixth grade. I don't know if that makes any difference or not. They tell me that the brains of children do not completely form until you're 25, so anything before that, you ought to get a pass, right? Even David said, remember not the sins of my youth. But I was there, and I did it, and I remember. And it shames me to this day. That's not the worst thing that Kevin did that, uh, that got us both in trouble, but that's enough talk about Kevin. But I also want to tell you about another friend I had growing up. After leaving Corpus Christi, uh, my dad worked and preached for the church in uh, Clovis, New Mexico. And while I was in Clovis, New Mexico, I met a woman, a young lady, she was about 17 years old, and her name was Terry Wilson. And Terry was a lovely, inside-and-out Christian young lady. Terry's parents didn't come to church. Terry's dad was not a believer. Terry's mom was a member of the church, but she was, she was out of duty. She hadn't been faithful in a long, long time. And so Terry and her younger sister came to church by themselves. Now, that's an interesting point all alone, but not only did they come to church, and it wasn't just for the social activities. We didn't have a youth director. There wasn't a formal youth program, per se. Or we did a lot of stuff. Now, we had a lot of young people my age, I was about the same age. We were in the same grade at school. But I'd never met anyone like Terry. My dad was a preacher. I don't know if you record this or not. The likelihood of this ever becoming public anywhere else. I've never told this story. And I don't care if it does. It's true. This young woman thought more deeply and spiritually about God than I ever had. And I grew up in a preacher's home. We were out at, uh, out at a park one afternoon, Sunday afternoon, and uh, had been um, pushing around the merry-go-round, several of us, uh, riding on the swing sets. And coming up to church time, I said, well, it's about time for us to go. And she said, I've got to go home and change clothes. And I looked at her, and I said, why do you need to go home and change clothes? 
She looked fine to me. She said, because I am not going to go to church, number one, dressed like this, and number two, where I've been out playing, where I had the possibility of being dirty and or smelly. God deserves more than that. Take me home. She was in my car. Take me home so I can get on some clean clothes. I'd never given it a thought. I would have showed up at church exactly the same way I was. You know what I did? Guess. I went home and changed clothes. That's exactly right. You know why? Because of the influence of a 17-year-old girl who said, God means more to me than this. Now, folks, let's talk about friends straight up and honest. Your friends are either going to lead you toward God or they're going to lead you toward the world. Now, which one are they doing? Are our friends distracting us from doing the things of God? This last week, I I got to take a friend, a new friend, out flying. Um, Probably many of you know Lonnie Jones. Uh, because of his involvement with young people throughout the uh, uh, really the country. Well, Lonnie and I worked together first at Memorial Parkway from 1986 until uh, I left in '96, uh, and then he came to Maysville. And so for the last 30-something years, Lonnie and I have worked together for all but about five or six of that. Lonnie uh, introduced me to a guy by the name of Daryl Pickle, Daryl is a young man who grew up on the river, Tennessee River. He had, was around boats and fishing all of his life, and uh, he likes to go bow fishing. And so Lonnie wanted me to go bow fishing with him. He'd always been talking about Daryl Pickle, Daryl Pickle, Daryl Pickle, and I was not all that excited about bow fishing because you know what you have to do when you go bow fishing? You go out at night. It starts about 9 o'clock at night, and you stay out until about 8 or 9 o'clock the next morning. Well, I didn't have all that many days I wanted to spend all night out fishing. And then Lonnie tells me, well, the bugs are only bad for a few hours. So the mosquitoes will kind of eat you up right after dark until about 10.30 or 11. Then they go away, and then they come back right before daylight to eat you up again. Oh, well, that's getting better all the time. He showed me pictures of, of the boat and, and all of these fish and, and uh, gar and buffalo fish and... and uh, uh, carp, and they don't eat any of them. They just shoot them and throw them away for the most part. So I wasn't all that excited about meeting Daryl Pickle and going out on the boat, but I went and, and I enjoyed, uh, my association with Lonnie has many special as- assets, but so I meet Daryl Pickle. Daryl's a nice guy. Daryl grew up in a denominational church, and his best friend was a preacher's son for one of the Church of Christ that he grew up around, and he decided that he needed to convert that boy. Daryl thought he needed to convert the son of the elder at the church. And so he started studying the Bible to prove him wrong. You know what happened, right? You get anybody into the Bible, into a serious Bible study, and what's going to happen? They're going to find the truth. And when they find the truth, if they've got an honest heart, they're going to respond. Well, Daryl ended up converting himself. 
And so Daryl today is a brother in the Lord and has been serving faithfully for a number of years. He met and married a wonderful woman who graduated from Freed Hardeman. And he had an interest in flying, and so I mentioned to him that I fly. And so we worked it out, and uh, I went fishing with him last uh, in, in May of this year. And we just last week were able to work it out to fly together. And so me and Daryl and his daughter... Uh, uh, me and Daryl and his daughter and his wife went flying. And after we went flying, we went out to eat. And it was like meeting folks that you know are on the same path you are trying to go to heaven. You know, when you meet people who are who are your friends, and now I can call call them real friends, when you meet people who are going to be your friends, don't you want to be able to walk with them in the things that are really important? One of my real challenges as a a preacher, and I know it's a problem for not just me but for others, is when I'm asked by a young lady or young man to perform a wedding ceremony, And the young man or the young woman that they're marrying is not a member of the church. And there's a part of my heart that hurts, even though we'll talk about it in advance, and I try to set up a Bible study for all those who will study. Some will and some won't. And I usually don't refuse to perform the ceremony, even if they won't, A, they're not converted, or B, they won't study. But I know that there's going to be a part of their life that they're not going to be able to share with that person. There's going to be something missing there because that that true connection of, of godliness, of we're going together to heaven, some of that's going to be missing. And you may have some friends in the world and you may go fishing and hunting and share sewing circles and uh, do whatever it is that's involved there, but... Your friends are either an aid to get you to heaven or they're a distraction to keep you from it. Which one? I am not ashamed to tell you that my grades prior to meeting my wife were not stellar. Now, Tony went to school way earlier than me at Freed Hardeman. Way, way earlier. Criteria was harder back then. By the time I came along, it was soft. It was easy. And uh, I, I had friends whose parents wrote them. I had one friend whose dad wrote him a letter and said, Now, don't study too much. Get out and enjoy yourself. <laughs> you know what my dad said? Sent home the first report card. He said, Son, it looks like you're seasick. You need to go back to work. Seasick. You'll figure it out in a minute. After I met my wife, I never made another grade in school that wasn't an A. My wife was a valedictorian of her high school. She's also a very good woman. I wish you could have seen her tonight. She is at home taking care of the preparation for her own school. She teaches fourth grade, and they start two weeks from tomorrow. That'll sink in in a minute. Your friends are going to influence you, not might, not can, they will. 
They do. They are. Now, whether or not they're influencing for you for good, who are you going to be friends with? James says in James chapter 4, we read it a few moments ago, you make yourself friends with the world, you become an enemy of God. John would talk about in 1 John chapter 2, don't love the world. All that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, it's of the world. And it's passing away. The world's passing away. And you're going to have to decide whether you want to be a friend of God or not. There's a song in our songbooks. I found a friend in Jesus. He's everything to me. He's the fairest of 10,000 to my soul. Can you sing that song? He's everything to me. There are a lot of people who call Jesus friend. But Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 14, if you're going to be my friend, you do what I command you. So, if you call Jesus friend, does Jesus call you friend also? Let me tell you one more story and then we'll conclude. There was another aircraft issue that I want to tell you about. 1972, Eastern Airlines had a uh, an L-1011 that went down. Jumbo jet. It was the first jumbo jet, wide-body jet crash. There were some who believed that maybe they didn't have the right technology, that the, the, the jets were just too big. We, we shouldn't be making them that big. That maybe some structural thing failed, maybe... Maybe something came apart. Maybe it wasn't engineered properly or it wasn't put together right or who knows. They recovered the black box. The voice data recorder. They found out what took place. This aircraft flying in from New York to Miami. Same problem I described before. Landing light indicator on the gear didn't light up. The pilots turned on the autopilot so that they could solve the problem. One of them getting up out of their seat knocked it off. They were over the Everglades. So the people on board the plane looking outside, it was all dark. There was nothing there. There was nothing to indicate the lights were rising. No one could see because it was almost midnight that the ground was rushing up at them at a, at a rapid pace. They simply flew that aircraft into the ground and 101 people died because a couple of guys got distracted from their job. We can't afford to be distracted from our job. Paul said, I have finished my course. I've finished my race. The faith I have is strong. I'm ready for that crown. Can you say that?
if you can. What do you need to do to make it right? It may be tonight that you're here and you need to make a change in your life. It may be that you need to make a public change. Either you're not a Christian, you've never confessed the name of Jesus and put on the Lord in baptism for the remission of sins. You've never been added to His body and you need to do that tonight. Or maybe there's some other need that you have that the church can help you with in a public way. And if that's the case, come while we stand and sing.